In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of a divine love. Send forth your spirit, and it shall be created. Let us pray. O God, it instruct the hearts of your faithful by light the Holy Spirit. Granted by the same Spirit, may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Guadalupe. St. Joseph. St. Nisha Leola. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Good evening. Good evening. The worksheet that I, I was able to write within the past couple of days is uh, directly related to uh, what we tried to do about 10 days ago with respect to this uh, mini retreat that we were able to give to um, at least some of the, um, some of the confirmation students. Uh, most did not show up, but um, we, um, we hope that in the future we'll be able to get a better response with respect to numbers. But um, I'd just like to explain to you my purpose. I try to be open to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I'm not always, but I try to be open to the Holy Spirit because God speaks through inspirations. So I saw this movie, Chosen, with Jonathan Rumi. Some of you have seen it. And I thought this would be a great way to connect with young people because we have, to, we have to meet them where they're at. During vacation, I don't think they're going to be reading Aristotle in Greek or Cicero in Latin or Shakespeare in Middle English um, or writing Shakespearean sonnets, you know, their future boyfriends. Probably not going to be doing that, no? I'm using a little bit of satire here. They're, they're not, they're, your, your kids, they're not big readers. Pro, few of them might be, no, but most are not. But they prefer to see things online. They like images. They like YouTube. They like Facebook. They like Instagram. That's where they're at. Uh, they live in a world of images. No. Um, I, who am older than all of you, I was brought up and raised with, with books, no? Those are the days when we, we walked to school with books, you know. And we had to prepare exams using books. But uh, this is a totally different culture. So, and I'm not denying that we, I'm not denying the reality of books. Otherwise, I wrote four books in vain, okay, because I'm a writer. <laughs> so books are important. But there are different ways in which we can communicate. And so let's... Uh, try to meet them where they're at. So this, that was my inspiration. And this is my dynamic. Bring them in, welcome them, pray a little bit with them, show them the, the movie, which lasts about 35 minutes. Then after that, uh, give them a little snack, and they can share on the movie on what would be the, the scene, the image, the dialogue, that seem to captivate them most. So they're able to talk it through. And this is part of the dynamic of the spiritual exercise program that I wrote like, 18 years ago. Is there there's some type of sharing because it's a good idea to share with others what's going on within your heart. Then after that, there was a, the deacon led a, uh, a guided prayer for about 20, about 20 minutes. I, in the meantime, I hit the confessional so that they could go, go to confession. I was there those three days. Then we ended with the Mass. So, see my logic now. Okay? Got prayer. Okay, you got the movie. The movie, you've got the images. The images engraved in their, their minds. They assimilate it and they start to talk about it among themselves. And then they, they have this dialogue with the Lord through the guided prayer of the deacon, where he, he does it very well. And then what we've seen and we, we've talked to 
In the Mass, he comes within us. You see? You see my, my dynamic? Hello? So that's, that's my, whole, my whole purpose, to get them to have an encounter with Christ. Now, if, if, uh, if they have an encounter with Christ, that will change their lives. And until we have an, a, a personal encounter with Christ, uh, once they finish high school, uh, they're in danger because it hasn't really sunk in. Once they have this experience with God, I call it an epiphany. An epiphany. We celebrated the feast of the Epiphany on um, last Sunday, right? The Epiphany. So that was our hope that they will have this encounter with Christ, where Christ is not simply some mythical figure that lived 2,000 years ago, you know, 10,000 miles away from us, but rather he's real today. He's real today. So this, um, and um, you might even think, what, what was the epiphany in your life that maybe led you to be here today? What was the God experience that you had? I had it when I was seven years old. That was my homily I gave to them on Sunday. I had that experience where my mother read me the life of St. Francis of Assisi and there was a special grace and there was a fire that was set. My heart was set on fire at seven years old. It was a mystical experience. I didn't know the language yet, but that was a mystical experience in which after three or four days, I want to be a priest at seven or eight years old. It was God touched me. A good family, good with mom and dad, but God purposely touched me through my mom's reading the life of St. Francis of Assisi, and I know it. And I think we all have these epiphanies, but if we don't examine our conscience, we don't feel like literature is a wonderful life with Jimmy Stewart. No, if you don't kind of rewind the film of your life, you're never going to see where God has been knocking at the door of your hearts. So this uh, worksheet is, is an extension of this retreat that we give to your kids. That it, it flows from that experience. Okay? Hoping that we will have a deeper encounter with Christ all the days of our life. Jesus the Lord chooses you. Say yes. That's the title. What a blessing... Indeed, it is to be able to view modern movie presentations of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The series called Chosen with Jonathan Rumi as principal actor, acting as Jesus, has touched many lives, young as well as old. The series has a title, Chosen, specifically for the reason that Jesus chooses the apostles one at a time to be his followers. He will eventually choose 12 to be his original group of apostles, friends and followers. Each one of the 12 have an individual and personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Most of them are very simple men. In fact, a group of them are simple, hardworking, not very well-educated, or cultured fishermen on Lake Galilee, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. A little sarcasm, not put up with me. They definitely would not have won any Academy Awards and scientific discoveries, literary masterpieces, nor intellectual achievements. They were simple, hard-working, down-to-earth men and workers, but Jesus called them to be his followers. God's plans are not our plans. His way of thinking is usually very different from our ways of thinking. These men, once transformed by the Holy Spirit, 
will end up by transforming the world and all of them except one will die as a martyr. Meaning, shedding their blood for belief and love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Right now, Jesus looks into your eyes and peers into your heart. Where, where you are right now, what he said to the apostles, he says right now to you, follow me. If you follow me, then you'll be the modern fishers of men and will have a place reserved for you in heaven. Are you ready and willing to accept the call that Jesus launches for you? Will you be willing to get into the boat and to drop the nets for an abundant catch of fish? The Lord Jesus respects your freedom and is waiting for your response. He never coerces nor forces, but gently awaits our free response. What will it be? Following be questions to respond to so as to get to know Jesus better, love him more ardently, and be willing to follow him more generously. So this is a, a mini summary of the public life of Christ. That's really what it is. A mini, mini summary of the public life of Christ. Okay, the name of Jesus. Where do we find the name Jesus and what does the name mean? We find it in Luke chapter 1 in the Annunciation. The Annunciation when the Archangel Gabriel meets Mary. She greets, she's greeted by hail full of grace. The Lord is with you. The Archangel Gabriel says, you will conceive and bear a son and his name will be Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. That's where we encounter. We encounter Jesus. So, his name means Savior. He is Jesus because he will save the people of their sins. For the Hebrews, name was often the function of the person. The name was a reality of who he would be and what would be the mission that he'd be carrying out. What about meeting him? Where is one place that we can meet Jesus and get to know him better? Okay, we can meet him in the tabernacle. We can meet him in the tabernacle. You notice right here, the tabernacle is open, so he's not here, okay? When you see the door open, that means that he's not present. When you see the door closed with the the red light burning bright, that means he's here. All right, our church. When you go to uh, St. Peter Chanel during the day, a good part of the day, he's in the tabernacle, but he's also outside the tabernacle. Why? Because we we have exposition of the Blessed Sacrament most of the morning, and from 1 o'clock until 6 o'clock every day. What a blessing, so we expose the Blessed Sacrament on the, on the altar. Symbolism. Symbolism. Maybe if you ever have the opportunity, go in front of the Blessed Sacrament, just, just look at it and adore the Lord, but, but look at how, how it's, uh, everything that surrounds it. Okay, you've got Two candelabra. What's that? Candelabra. They're candles. 
Take, what are the number? Three. Three is, is, is a number of perfection. You've got the Trinity is three. The three theological virtues are three. Now, those candles are lighted. What does that mean? Jesus is the light of the world. Are the candles going up or are they going down? They're going up. There's a symbolism there. It's like the candles are, are pointing to Christ. Now the monstrance. Monstrance in Latin, in Spanish, is mostrar. Mostrar, which means, you know Spanish, to show. So monstrar is almost the same in Latin as it is in Spanish. It's showing. He's being shown. Now, there's the circle, and inside the circle you've got the, the white host. That's God. Now, emanating from the monstrance, you see these rays. They look, it looks like sun rays. Sun rays, Jesus, is the light of the world. And we want him to enlighten us and warm us with his love. Now, below, there's a stand in which it's, it's being sustained by two angels. There's a lot there. Given that we live in a very fast-paced world and we have very few poets and mystics here, if you're a poet or you're a mystic, and I have a, a little bit of that myself, right away, I, I look at the whole symbolic surrounding there and it's, it elevates the presence. But you've you got to think. <laughs> you got to think things through. So really, it's very beautiful. Very beautiful. Now, if you look at that, that tabernacle was donated by my mother to the church 25 years ago. That, this tabernacle is probably more beautiful than the other one. It came from the La Salette Fathers from New Hampshire. My mom gilded it, sent it from New Hampshire to California. And the reason why we don't use it in the big church is because it's too small to contain the host. But if we close the door, it's a beautiful, beautiful tabernacle. Thank you, Mrs. Broome. Okay. <laughs> Beautiful tabernacle. And you can take off the top. You see the top cross and you can place the Blessed Sacrament on top of it. You can do that also. So, uh, pray, pray, that you, uh, pray, pray that you pay more attention to details. You're more aware of details. You're not so pro prosaic, but more poetic, okay? So we encounter our Lord in the, in the Blessed Sacrament. In the Blessed Sacrament. All right, names now. How do we get to know the person by names, but also... Descriptive qualities of the person, we call those attributes. So, Rick is a husband, father, son, Christian, Catholic, consecrated to Mary, okay? Okay? An ardent pursuer of the truth, okay? So, I, I've given you about seven or eight different attributes, but the same person. So this is a bridge by which we... Now, we can apply that to Jesus. I've known Rick for many years. So I've given about seven or eight different qualities that enhances his personality by different qualities. Now, we want to apply that to Jesus now. So let's give some... These are Christological titles. Titles for Christ. And if this is done, this can really enrich your prayer life. Yeah. Yeah. This can really enrich your prayer life if you take these titles seriously. Last night, we went through this, and they asked the people which was their favorite title. We're going to put, we're going to put um, nine, and almost everyone mentioned a different one. So we'll go through some of the titles and see which is your favorite. Which one seems to speak most eloquently to you? Which captivates you most? So let's go. First, 
place the name Jesus is first. Jesus, Jesus, and you might put colon Savior. Okay, why don't you put the word, you've heard Christ. Often you have Jesus, Christ, sometimes they're separated. But Christ, Christ is a word that comes from Greek, the Cairo. And what it really means, Christ, is the anointed one. Because kings would be anointed. Remember, David was anointed by, uh, by, by Samuel. So Christ is the anointed one of God. That's what Christ means. So it means the anointed savior. Technically. All right, the third, if you like biblical verses, Psalm 23 and John 10, the Good Shepherd. Jesus is the Good Shepherd. There's so many ramifications of that. You could spend a a whole day retreat just on that one that one concept. It's one of the most common images in uh, in the whole Bible. I want, I once heard a, a priest in Alaska. I've never been in Alaska, but he said one of the most difficult things to preach in the Bible would be the Good Shepherd and sheep, because in Alaska you got you got walruses, but you don't have sheep, no. So he said, for me, it's difficult to preach to these Eskimos, they're called Eskimos, because you, you don't have any sheep there. <laughs> and we can watch it on National Geographic or photos, but they've got all these different sea animals, but they don't have sheep, no? He was probably in Anchorage or Juneau or someplace where it's just, you, you've just got the ice and you've got the, the sea animals. But most of us who live, live, if another place is the Philippines, the United States, we know what a sheep and a shepherd is. No? Okay, the fourth would be John chapter 6, the bread of life. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Bread of life. The fifth is master or teacher. He's the master or the teacher. Is that the fifth or the sixth? That's the sixth? Okay, now the seventh. Oh, this is this is the sixth now? Okay. Okay, the sixth would be he is our divine physician. How often we see Jesus healing people? He's our divine physician. Okay, this one's taken from the apocalypse. He's the Alpha and the Omega. What that is, it'd be the first and last letter of the, of the Greek, the Greek alphabet, the Alpha, the Omega. That's translated as the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. Okay, let's take one. Can be a couple words. Who does John the Baptist call him? In John chapter 1? He's the Lamb of God. Okay? It's a title given to him by John the Baptist. And there he is with Andrew and John. There's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the Lord, the Lamb of God. Great symbolism in that that goes back to the Old Testament, the Paschal Lamb. And the blood painted on the doorpost, right? Then passing through the Red Sea. And finally, we have El Amigo Kinukafaya, the friend. He is our friend, our best friend. 
So in your prayer to the Holy Spirit, you might ask yourself, which of those titles seems to captivate you most? For a group like you people, talking now in more generic terms, I honestly believe that the Good Shepherd is very applicable to us here. Good Shepherd. And you can give many interpretations. Okay, Jesus is the Good Shepherd. We are the sheep of this flock. The Holy Father is the Good Shepherd of the church. And the bishop is called to be the Good Shepherd of the diocese. You've got a, you got a pastor. He's supposed to be the Good Shepherd. A priest is called to be the Good Shepherd of those who are under his charge. But what about you? Are you called to be Good Shepherds? Yes, so you as parents. I don't see how you could read that without feeling, okay, I've got my flock, right? i got my sheep, and there are wolves out there too. Quite a few, right? I don't see how, I can't read that without thinking, I'm a priest, and I'm called to be a spiritual father, and I have a lot of responsibility, and I have a lot of groups, and I, all the groups that I have, I pray for you people, no? and um, I find that passage that really touches me because there are a lot of wolves out there. A lot. But listen to this now. For you to be a good shepherd to your sheep, you have to be a good sheep of the good shepherd. Ah, Say that three times fast. (laughs) You got it? I'll repeat for you, for you to be a good shepherd to your sheep, you have to be a good sheep of the good shepherd. I don't think it's too late to say this to some of you younger mothers and fathers, but um, in, in, in parenting, in parent, I think it's very important that you form if you have more, if you have like five or six kids or nine, number one and two are so important. Some of you have five kids, five. Some of you have somewhat big families, no? Even if you have two, it's important that the first one, there's a certain, there's more responsibility for the first, first well, number one and two. And I really, I really, my parent, parents understood forming me and my older brother because there was going to come a line of them after us. And if we could really give them good example and um, show them um, a good moral life, spiritual life, intellectual life, they would, you know, face it, the younger ones follow the older ones, right? Whether you like it or not. It's almost built in that the I remember as a as a, a teenager that I, I never had my own room. You think that would be a luxury until my brother went off to college and had and then I had my own room for the first time for nine months. Then I went off to college and I got a roommate. No, <laughs> with bunk beds again. <laughs> From the frying pan to the fire. No, <laughs> but I tell you. Um, it was, it was impossible, his example is very good. It was impossible, impossible for me to skip out on studies because he would come home and we had a paper route and he would deliver his 50 or 60 papers, a paper route, you know what that is? Then he would come home and right away he'd go to his room to study. And I certainly didn't like to study that much. But he'd always be studying, and then he'd be going to Dartmouth and Columbia, so one of those Ivy League guys, you know. So seeing him study, if I didn't study, my conscience would bother me. <laughs> but it was, it was a good example. I mean, my parents didn't have to crack the whip. He was just so well organized. School, part-time job, can have a little snack, and then hit the books, and then hit bed, and before I know, he's off to college, you know. But it was an example that wasn't so much a lot of words, but just the way he lived. No? So, 
They say in Spanish, right? the example pulls either for in the right direction or the wrong direction. Okay. So there we have our our titles for prayer. So if you, you want to be a good shepherd to your sheep, you have to be a good sheep to your shepherd. Got it? Okay. Don't try to be the shepherd of Christ. It's not going to work. No, you have to be a sheep, right? <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next. Well, the purpose of his coming, what was and is the principal reason for the coming of Christ, well, we've already said it, but let's repeat it. He came to save us and to bring us to heaven. He came to save us. I'd like to teach you a very short but efficacious prayer. Do you remember when Peter was sinking in the waves? What did he say? Right? Lord, save me. That's a good prayer. Have you ever felt that you're you're sinking in one way or another? I think we've all experienced it. Seems as if you know you're sinking in the waves. Things don't seem to be going the way you'd like them to be going. Things seem to be falling apart. Life doesn't seem to have any meaning. We all go through desolation. It's called desolation. Well, hey, Lord, save me. That's a good prayer. It's a good prayer. Let me short. These short prayer, biblical prayers, can sometimes be very efficacious. Lord, save me. And our Lord's, what did he do? With one hand, he said, man, a little faith, right? And he stretched out his hand. He grabbed his hand. And then Peter was able to walk on the water, got in the boat, and then the boat crossed over to the shore, safe and sound. That's a good prayer, though. Well, if you, if you prefer, you can just say, are you listening? Help! <laughs> Remember the Beatles, help, right? <laughs> help. All right, next. How about the Gospels? What does the word Gospel mean? Good news. Okay, so let's write down the Gospels. And I'll give you the number of the chap- chapter. You know the number of the chapters of the Gospel? Well, we're going to learn tonight. Okay, Matthew has 28. Mark has 16. Luke has, Patty? 24. John has Gerardo? 21. 21. 21. Hey, good. That guy was probably a Protestant before. No? <laughs> Evangelico. <no? laughs> Last night in my Spanish class, what I did was I went through all the Gospel of St. John yeah, was able to go through all the themes in the 21 chapters. No? Memory. Felt proud of myself. <laughs> yeah. So you just give me, every chapter would be able to give you the, the, the themes and the specific topics of each of, each of the 21 chapters. No? Maybe you'll be able to do it one day. When I was making a retreat uh, once in New York with the legionaries, the legionaries of Christ, uh, with Juan Rivas is one of the priests there, he said that they had to memorize word for word the whole Gospel of St. John. Now that I haven't done yet. No? But word for word. No? And uh, the other day, Mary was pointing this out. Last week we celebrated the American saints. Do you know the American saints? Saint Elizabeth Ann Seton, and you got Saint John Neumann, and you got Saint Andre Bassett, who is he's from Canada. Mary studied him in great detail. He was a humble 
simple brother, but he had the four gospel accounts, the passion memorized. And he, he had really a lot of problems with with studying, but he had, right Mary? He had Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The passion accounts, which are, are two, two chapters, a pretty long chapter, he had to memorize. And not simply one of the versions, but each version is a little bit different, no? What happens with us? We forget our last name at the end of the day. No. <laughs> we all have a memory, but our, our memory has to be cultivated. No. We all have a memory, but it has to be cultivated. Probably have to say that. Um, Rick has a photographic photographic memory, but it hasn't been developed yet, right? (laughs) (laughs) Hasn't been developed yet, right? (laughs) Okay. So as Catholics, where is a very prominent place that we can find the Lord Jesus Christ? Put in the holy sacrifice of the Mass. The holy sacrifice of the Mass. When I was studying theology many years ago, my fourth year, I was studying with Father Jordan Allman, and he said, um, what's the difference between the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church? Yeah, but one thing he said is the, the Protestant Church has the... And we have the... I never forgot that. They got a pulpit. If you're ever going to a Protestant service, I mean, they they read the Bible. You think that my homily is long? <laughs> Here comes Father Broom. <laughs> Buckle your seatbelts. We're not going to get up to Denny's until 11:15. No. <laughs> Are you kidding? This is going to go on 40 minutes. Half hour, no? I'll give you 16 minutes. But no, they, they go on. So they preach, and then they sing, and then they memorize, and they buy, break up into little Bible groups. So, um, tell, you, tell you an interesting story, though, to show how, how life has changed. <clears throat> In the... Uh, Yes, in late 40s, early 50s, my father went to Michigan State. They're in Michigan. And um, there was a very famous history professor back what, 70 years ago. Uh, he studied, uh, he got his degree in economics, but he took a course in history too. And my father did not have one shy bone in his body. He's very blunt and very outspoken. And the professor said, as you know, Catholics, they don't read the Bible. My father heard this, and he he studied with the Jesuits 12 years of the best education in the country back in the 40s and 50s. My mom studied with the IHM IHM nuns with the, the best teaching order. And my father, my father raised his hand and said, excuse me, Professor, that's not true because I studied in a Catholic school and they taught us how to read the Bible. What do you think a professor would do if this student did that today? One, two, three. But the professor, he, he stopped in his, in his tracks. The, last, the next class, the history class, he said, I'd like to apologize to Mr. Bloom and Catholics. And I consulted and they found out that some Catholics do read the Bible. I just thought the Catholics you know, read the lives of the saints. They listened to their pastor. But what, what's humility? This is probably the most prestigious professor in Michigan State. But what's humility? Today with that happy, probably be booted out. No? <laughs> How times have changed, huh?
But even though, even 60, 70 years ago, we're, we're called to read the Bible. Most, a lot of Catholics did not. But those who are more highly educated, they did read the Bible. No? I want to show the story. This is this is the vision that the Protestants have. There, a Protestant was talking with a Catholic. What are you doing in your church? And the pastor said, well, no, the, the Protestant said, well, we read the Bible, he preaches the Bible, he interprets the Bible, we memorize the Bible, we sing the Bible, we love the Bible, we live the Bible. And the Protestant asked the Catholic, what do you do? And she said, we read the bulletin. <laughs> we read the bulletin. Hopefully that's not true, huh? We want to go beyond the bulletin, right? <laughs> we read the bulletin, huh? <laughs> Maybe the bulletin will say, start to read the Bible, right? So <laughs> Protestant pastor once said, he who has a Bible that's falling apart will probably not have, it, not have his life falling apart. Amen? <laughs> All right, so we have the pulpit, but we also have the altar. And Vatican II points were nourished by two tables, the table of the Word of God and the table of the body of the Lord. Two different tables. Okay, families. Three perfect families. It's not yours nor mine. Okay? <laughs> you ever think about it? There are three perfect families? Can I tell you them? You give me permission? Thank you. Okay. First would be the holy family of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. That's a perfect family. Perfect mother and spouse, the perfect wife and mother, and the perfect son. The next family is going to go even beyond the Holy Family. It is the Blessed Trinity. (laughs) The Trinity is a family. How does John Paul II define family? Community of love, right? Communion means sharing, sharing and love. How about the third perfect family? Are you saying the church is perfect? As we say in New York, fat chance. You ready? Heaven. Heaven. Like that? I'm an original thinker, right? (laughs) That's true. Heaven's a family. And actually, heaven includes the three families. Because you've got the Trinity there, right? You've got the Holy Family there. But you have something more. You've got the angels and the saints. Hopefully, one day you and your children and your wife too. Amen? That's, uh, that's why we're here. We, want to, we all want to get to heaven. We all want to get to heaven. But we're pilgrims. We're, we're heading there. We haven't arrived yet. The song that I really liked in Chile... Somos un pueblo peregrino caminando hacia la patria que nunca se acaba. I don't know if they sing that in Mexico, but beautiful song. Beautiful. Never heard them sing it, but in Chile it was my favorite. It was me. We're a pilgrim people walking toward the country that never ends. Patria que nunca se acaba. 
want to spice a little bit of Spanish to keep the Mexicans awake. Huh? <laughs> so those are the three. Those are the three family, the perfect family, holy family, the Trinity, as well as heaven. Heaven. And I, I love Hawaiian Garden, but I don't want to be here forever. <laughs> Maybe you do, but I. <laughs> this is a temporary place. This is Grand Central. No. <laughs> Public life of Jesus, all right. How long did the public life of Jesus last? How long? Three years. From 30 to 33. Now this is just my own way of ordering things, uh, activities. Now in these short years of Jesus' public life, Let's name the three principal activities that Jesus carried out before his passion and death. Okay, so you got the public life of Christ, which in the Gospels is about 70% of the Gospel would be the public life of Christ. In the bookends you have, you have the incarnation, the birth, and the other you have what's called the Paschal Mystery, passion, death, and resurrection of Christ. Ready? Okay, the first would be abundant teaching. The other day I was listening to Cale Clark in Relevant Radio. He divided the Gospel of St. Matthew into five different blocks of teaching. I want to go back and find out what those were. But I'll give you the most famous. So he says that Matthew can be divided in five different blocks of teachings. First would be the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Another one here would be the, the parables, parables that they have in Matthew. So abundant preaching and teaching. So we have the privilege, if you have a Bible, you can sit down and you can read his teaching whenever you want. So the second um, group of activities would be his, his miracles. His miracles. His miracles. Now, still in the category of miracles, I like to divide the miracles into two different subcategories, which would be miracles of healing and miracles over nature. Miracles of healing and miracles over nature. Healing would be probably 75%, but then you have miracles over nature. Healing would be giving sight to the blind, healing the lepers, the paralytics, the deaf, did you hear me? The deaf, the mute, raising the dead like Lazarus. Then you have miracles over nature. Look at this. How about that? Let's see. I'll try once more. Let's go. I was hoping that it would be suspended in the air so that I would do my first miracle in Hawaiian God. You know? Now, if those keys were suspended in the air, that would be a miracle. The law of gravity would have been suspended temporarily. Didn't happen, though, no? Jesus would do that at times. Now, why, why did he do miracles? To prove that he was God. He proved that he was God. Because he said to them in John 8, if you don't believe my words, at least believe my actions. And only God can do miracles. He said, well, Padre Pio will say God's the one that does the miracles, but he uses me as an instrument. Or John Boss would say, oh, lady, help the Christians. All right. So those would be, that would be the second group of activities. Carrying out miracles. 
The third would be what happened in the gospel today, Raquel or Gerardo. What did Jesus do today? Okay. He, he did exorcisms. So if you went to Mass today, somebody would go to daily Mass. Any would go to daily Mass? Okay. Mark chapter 1. Jesus goes to the synagogue of Capernaum. There's this man possessed by a devil. He's saying, Jesus, Son of God, I know who you are. Have you come here to torment us before our time? Jesus says, be quiet, come out of him. So the devil leaves him and the man is healed. So you have several exorcisms casting out. The, the most numerous was in the Gadarenes or the Gerasenes when he cast out the legion, which was a whole army, a legion, a huge number. So it would be at times one, it could be more than one, it could be a, a huge number at the same time. What's more powerful? A good confession or an exorcism? <laughs> it's a tricky question, isn't it? Almost everyone would say, of course, an exorcism. Uh-uh. An exorcism is a sacramental. Confession is a sacrament. Much more powerful the sacraments than sacramentals. Much more powerful, blessing with holy water or the sacrament of baptism? Baptism. So, you know, obviously exorcism is much more noise and commotion, right? Screaming and foam coming out of the mouth, right? The eyes going backwards, no? <laughs> the, lady, the girl levitating in the air, no? But technically, a good confession is much more powerful. No one thinks of it about that way, but I thought I'd throw that out to you that you're aware of it. Not to underestimate the power of a good confession. Right, so that's the way I, I divide the public life of Christ into those three different activities. Abundant preaching, miracles divided into two categories, which would be that of miracles over nature as well as miracles... Um, Miracles of healing. Miracles of healing. Following up what I just said, Thomas Aquinas says that a soul that goes in the confessional and confesses his mortal sins and comes out, that is a greater miracle than all the creation of the natural in the natural order. The whole world. Because one is natural, the other is supernatural. The supernatural far, tra- far transcends the natural. Yes, just one good confession is, is much more superior than all, all, all the miracles in the order of creation. All of them put together. Aquinas. I love Aquinas, don't you? All right, definition of Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God made man. Jesus is the Son of God made man. Jesus had two natures. They would be Okay, so you've got the divine nature, which means he's God, and the human nature, which means he's man. Jesus is truly and always our best friend. Amen? Okay, now briefly, I'm going to try to try to do a, a short Ignatian contemplation with this very highly gifted mystical group this evening. So I was able to put together a short biblical passage, um, one of the most dynamic, active passages in the Bible. And we'll see what, how we can um, 
understand this and apply this to our lives. This is taken from Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 to 27. So Jesus got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a violent storm came upon the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. They came and woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. He said to them, Why are you terrified? Oh, you have little faith. And he got up, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. The men were amazed and said, What sort of man is this? Whom even the winds and the sea obey. One of, the most, one of the most ironic things in this passage is this. Do we ever find Jesus hungry and thirsty? Yes. Tired? Yes. Sweating blood? Yes. Do we ever find Jesus asleep in the Bible? The only time we find Jesus asleep in the Bible is in the midst of a terrible storm that almost killed the apostles. There's a lot in that. The only time he's asleep in this terrible storm, they thought they were going to, these are, these are professional fishermen. They knew the Lake Gallo, like the, they, 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 they worked in like probably 25 years. They knew it. They were, they were a fear, afraid that they were going to be drowned. There Jesus is asleep in the, in the ship. I think that says a lot. It says a lot. So let's let's put this together. This will be a model Ignatian contemplation. As many of you have done the exercise with me. This is a model Ignatian contemplation, which we kind of fill in the gaps. And once you fill in the gaps, you go off and spend an hour on this. And you, you, you do your holy hour on this, okay? Right, Patty? See, Padre. Yeah. Okay, let's let's an, answer these simple questions now. Okay, where where did this take place? Okay, Sea of Galilee, sometimes called Gennesaret or Tiberias. They got three different names, but Galilee is the, the most common. Okay, so we go from, this is called the composition of place, the composition of place, which you're going to try to imagine what it looks like, then who's there, what's happening, and then try to derive fruit for ourselves. Okay, who were, who were present? Okay, but don't forget the most important person, right? So Jesus is present with with the apostles. We don't have the number. Were, the, were all of them present there in the boat? Or no, we don't know. But some of the apostles were present. Okay, how did the apostles feel and react? These are questions that you should be making when you're learning how to meditate. All these questions, they, they trigger uh, uh, a mental and then an emotional response it should be triggering thoughts and the thoughts and the feelings, feelings hopefully into a dialogue with the Lord. They probably just did a nice, nice summer easy cruise, right? <laughs> okay. How did they feel and react? Oh, well, they were terrified. Now, if you if, if you read through comments on this, because the gospel only gives you the bare bones. I read commentary where they're, where they're trying to get the water out. 
They're trying to lift up the the masts that the ship has to be able to maybe catch the wind to direct them to the shore. So there's a lot happening because it's being swamped with water. If too much water gets in, the, the boat the boat is going to ship. And part of sailing is you have to know where the wind is and how to catch the wind and how to put put up the masts. So and these guys they're, they're professionals. And they're strong men. I mean, they're muscular. They're strong. So what did Jesus do? I know you're going to say he, he, he slept, right? <laughs> he did sleep, but he did something else. What did Jesus do? So he gets up. He rebukes the wind and the storm calms immediately, right? You, know, you might even Google this in tonight because I, I've, I've seen this before. You have a lot of different artistic depictions. One I remember, one you have like, I think it's Peter, one of them is kneeling down, he's Lord... <laughs> Help us. We're going to die, you know. Another one is lifting up the mass. Another one is getting a can, pouring, trying to get the water out. And then they're out. They're doing all they possibly can so that they won't die. Okay, here we have it now. Let's go from the biblical passage to you right now. Have you ever been afraid? Not yet? Have you ever been afraid? We all have fears, right? Probably every day. Some of us have maybe had some some huge storms. Huge storms. As if it seems as if the boat's going to... It seems like a boat is hit... Like the Titanic is run into an iceberg, huh? Have you been afraid? Why? Possibly our fears, I mean, our, our fears are also related to our lack of trust in God, too. Maybe we don't trust God as much as we really should. Maybe we want to control the situation, not let God control the situation. Storms. Have you ever had storms in your life? Yes? So what types of storms? Let's write down a few. Might be health, it might be economic, it might be some family problem, it might be some doubts we have, it might be some emotional problem we're going through. I'm not going to say this to be skeptical, but I think all of you have had storms with your children, at least to a limited degree. Right? Really, I mean, you, you, can, you can apply this. Your, your, your children have caused storms in your life. I mean, they're not, they're not perfect yet, are they? No? And the beauty is the storm, you want to bring it to Christ. That's the whole purpose of this meditation. You, you want to bring these storms to Christ. And as he calmed down the storm on Lake Al, he can calm down the storms of your li- in your life if you trust. How can Jesus then enter into the storms in your life? By prayer, 
And you know what's a beautiful prayer? Is that prayer right there. Jesus, I trust in you. You might even add it, Jesus, help me. Jesus, I trust in you. You might even say, Lord, Jesus, give me patience also. I like that, that couplet or the triplet, huh? <laughs> yeah? I think that, that I, all of us can identify with this passage. That's why I wrote it down. I think everyone here can identify with this passage. Every one of you. We all have storms. If we don't admit it, I think we're, blind, we're spiritually blind. So, a short prayer to Jesus. Okay, we can, I think like I just said, a short prayer to Jesus would be, Lord, be with me in the storms of my life. You can even write this, help me to arrive at the shores of salvation safely. And of course, we have to end with Mary, don't we? Stella Maris. Do you know what Stella Maris means? Buy my book, buy my book, buy my book. Yeah. Okay? Mary Stella Maris. Guide us safely to the port of salvation. Because the sailors back in the time of St. Bernard, they would look up at the stars to help them to arrive safely at the shore. Was this class helpful? Pretty good summary of the public life of Christ, huh? I'm giving this to your kids also this week also. I gave it uh, today and I'll be giving it on Friday. So let's say a prayer that Christ becomes more and more meaningful, uh, meaningful for us as well as for our children. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou, Amen. Blessed the fruit of thy Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sinners, now at the hour of our death. The Lord be with you. Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Okay. Saved by the bell, huh? <laughs>